That makes it four years in a row that there has been a Category 5 hurricane. That is a new record. Record floodwaters topping the levee and seeping through its cracks. See the level of water here? It's because of the continuous rain for over 36 hours. Earlier this year, Zimbabwe's government declared a national disaster after the drought damaged harvests. Water is so scarce that people are now stealing it. People are desperate, especially ones that have got young kids. They're just desperate. Mayor of St. John's has declared a state of, that, of emergency. That state of emergency is in effect immediately and until further notice. These sharks could be coming down at two inches an hour. There's also going to be significant wind. It could be blowing sharks down Broadway. I'm Sarah, and this is The Big Milk. Okay, okay. One of those isn't real. But the rest of them? Totally true. Extreme weather events are on was the rise. the shark one? What? I'm pretty sure it was the shark one. Yes, Kyle. It was the shark one. Yeah. But seriously, though. Extreme weather events are on the rise. Clicking through news feeds feels like spinning a global wheel of disaster. What'll it be today? Tornadoes? Typhoons? How about floods, wildfires, blizzards, ice storms, droughts? It's hard to even keep up. There are so many devastating events destroying people's homes and animal habitats every single month. At this point, I'm pretty sure the only weather we don't have to worry about is fog. Or do we? Wait, do we though? We don't. Or do we? Dun, dun, dun! You said we didn't! Do we? I don't know. <laughs> no, probably not. Sarah, do we have to worry about the fog? Okay, okay, relax. I was just messing with you. How dare you? <laughs> but joking aside, let's look at the science. Extreme weather is not new. There have always been epic storms and abnormally cold winters. The thing that makes the current situation so alarming is actually the frequency. While I was doing research, I ended up on the webpage for the National Weather Service, and it was really strange. I thought I was going to use a site for info on individual storms, but the way the menu page was organized ended up being way more interesting. Here, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, let's see. There are one, two, three, uh, 13? 13 different listings for extreme weather events in 2018. Uh, nine for 2017, four for 2016. Basically every year from the 80s onwards has three and up. Like, Compare that to the single event years listed in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. There's literally only one extreme weather event listed for the entire 1960s. Hurricane Camille, which hit on the 17th of August, 1969. Now, granted, this menu only includes weather events that occurred in North America, but that's still really striking. Even the naming conventions are telling. Like, you can refer to the Winnipeg Flood of 1950, or the Great Tempest of 1703. But if you said the Storm of 2018, people would be like, which one, bruh? Michael 
Alberto, Gordon. Uh, side note, the big storms of 2018 kind of sound like a boy band. So, next question. Is this trend because of climate change? I mean, it's easy to see why an increase in worldwide temperatures would cause wildfires and droughts, but the connection to weather events like ice storms and hurricanes is a little harder to trace. When I was trying to wrap my head around it, I realized the key is that all weather is connected, whether the weather's in Toronto or Tasmania. It's all part of the same system. In simple terms, climate change just adds more energy to that system, more uh, oomph, you know? Okay, so the flow kinda goes like this. Higher temperatures increase evaporation of water, which contributes to drier droughts like in South Africa. And of course, more opportune conditions for wildfires, like in Australia. And that increased evaporation alongside rising sea levels leads to a lot more precipitation and flooding, like in the UK. But that precipitation doesn't necessarily fall where it evaporated from. Because guess what? Higher temperatures also make the wind systems more violent, blowing further and faster agitating air from all over the globe into storms, pushing polar air into warm places, carrying warm currents into cool places. And as for increased snow, with all that extra moisture floating around, when the temperature does drop, guess what it falls as? How about the record-breaking 30 inches of snow that fell in Newfoundland in one day this January? So, yeah. Frequent extreme weather events are definitely connected to climate change. And they're not just inconvenient for a moment. They do real, lasting damage. They cost millions of dollars, displace people, and fundamentally change their homes. Over the past few weeks, I talked to a bunch of my friends from Canada and around the world. Here's what they had to say. I'm terrified by flooding. It's very terrible. I've actually experienced twice or three times at China. It's not something you can get rid of like seconds. Like tornadoes that just go by you and you're like, oh, I'm safe. But it's actually there for a long time. You have to seal the doors in time. Otherwise, everything's soaking wet. So I live in Shanghai and I, um, I experienced um, it when I was like six. The whole basement was wet flooded with water and then I had all my toys there um when we're driving out of the garage when it opens like there's so much water coming in and it's really hard to go anywhere you're trapped there for a long time my name is Finn Gleichmann and I'm 15 years old I live in Amman which is the capital of Jordan and Jordan is a country in the Middle East water is a big 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 threat um, here because Jordan is one of the most water scarce countries in the world already now. Ever increasing droughts make water supply harder each year. We already had the case several times at our house that we just didn't have water for two days or so. I mean, we had drinking water, but not for washing and so on. In addition, the weather patterns have become very off because normally you have a raining season in winter and it dry season in summer 
But last year, for example, um, there was no rain in winter, which especially affected the farmers in the country. And then in March, when the raining season already ends, it finally rained very heavily. And last year, 10% of the annual rainfall fell in just 45 minutes during one of these rains. That means that downtown, for example, of Amman gets flooded. And not only does it flood the city, the soil gets destroyed and these masses of water cannot be caught so quickly. So after these rains, much of the water just gets lost. I'm Faith and I'm 17 years old. I'm from Canada, but I live in Saudi Arabia and I go to the American school here in Riyadh, the capital city. One thing that's kind of been worrying a lot of people, at least in, like amongst my grade, if I see talk around, is like, especially in the past two years, we've noticed like a lot of really weird weather. And it sounds like we, like for the past two days, we've had a really bad sandstorm. Like, we've been waking up with like sand everywhere and it's just, it's very annoying. But like, it doesn't rain here, but this year is probably one of the rainiest years we've seen. It just kept raining and raining in like, I'd say November. And we've also been seeing like, crazy fluctuations in temperature. Like just yesterday, it was around 35 degrees, but today it dropped down to like 14 or 15. It's like kind of all over the place. Uh, this is Katia. I live on a small Gulf Island off the coast of BC. It's called Thetis Island. And I've lived there all my life. I vividly remember being a little girl, maybe like six or seven, and holding my mom's hand as we walked down to the fishing dock. We used to buy all our seafood from local fishermen that moored around the island and sold their catch to us. But I think they stopped coming two or three years later, probably the same time as the salmon did. The salmon don't come around the islands anymore and there's jellyfish instead, but they don't provide any nutritional value and they wouldn't sell them to us. And so that's a sign of ocean acidification within our waters because jellyfish do tend to like more acidic water. And going to school in the Cowichan Valley, but living on a small island community has given me opportunity to witness the effects of climate change over a broad range of terrain. Living in a coastal temperate rainforest, we experience excess rain during the wet months that cannot be absorbed into the ground and drains away. And historically, there have always been water shortages here, but in the past few years, they've gotten dramatically worse. The past summer, um, wells in the Cowichan Valley ran dry. The water in the Cowichan River had to be pumped in because it went dry and the salmon couldn't swim up it. And because of the increasing summer droughts, native cedar trees are dying out. And aside from the devastating ecological impacts of this phenomena, the cedars are becoming kindling in the midst of wildfire season. And for me, wildfires are especially terrifying because I live on a small island with a population of only 350 and a volunteer fire department. And if a stray cigarette butt started a wildfire, then it would devastate the whole island because we don't have the resources to fight the fire. That was so crazy. Like, it shows how climate change is not just some abstract figure in weather charts. I think it's really important to think about the whole impact. Climate change and the more frequent extreme weather events disturb people's lives. 
and destroy traditional ways of life that remained the same for thousands of years. We'll be right back with the Big Mel. All right, we're back. And it's not just humans who are affected, because of course it's not. Because of course it has to affect some beautiful, cute, majestic, shelled creature who just wants to swim about and lay eggs on a nice beach and be happy in the water. Oh and- no, is it affecting the turtles? Hmm. No. Yeah. Oh, come on, why? Because turtles are so delicate. Like, they already have the odds against them from the start. Even when conditions are perfect, for species like leatherbacks, only one out of every thousand eggs actually grows into an adult. And then after managing to win that lottery, they have to deal with ocean warming that bleaches their coral habitat and changes the currents they use, which puts them in contact with predators they wouldn't normally encounter. And on top of that, they have to deal with massive coastal storms that wash away their nesting grounds. And on top of all that, the icing on the catastrophe cake If they actually manage to survive and lay eggs, there's barely any males to fertilize them. Because turtle gender is determined by the temperature of the sand they hatch in. And due to global warming, all the sand is too hot. Seriously, nests in Playa Grande on Costa Rica's Pacific coast are already producing 70 to 90% female. And like, you know I'm all for girl power. But that is not a good ratio. It just makes me so mad. Leatherback turtles are amazing creatures. They're the world's biggest turtle. They're the only turtle that doesn't have a hard shell. They are so incredible. They've evolved to have special blood vessels that let them maintain a higher body temperature than the water they're in. They have the widest distribution of all turtle species. Like, they're found in the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans, and all the way from Alaska to New Zealand. These creatures have existed in their current form since the time of the dinosaurs. They are that well adapted to the environment. And we've managed to almost eradicate them. Ugh, it makes me so mad! Hey, would you like to talk to a turtle expert? What? It'll make you feel much better. How do you know a turtle expert? Hmm. I briefly considered running away to Costa Rica. What? Eh, it doesn't matter. I'm fine. Here. Wait. Who is this? Kathleen Martin. She's the executive director of the Canadian Sea Turtle Network. I think. What? Wait. Hello? Hi. Um, is this Kathleen? Yes, it is. Oh, hi. I'm Sarah. Uh, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So, my brother just gave me your number. Is it okay that I ask you a few questions about sea turtles for my podcast about climate change? Yeah, for sure. So, can you just give us a quick summary? Who are you? Um, my name's Kathleen Martin, and I'm the executive director of the Canadian Sea Turtle Network. We've been around for just over 20 years, and we are based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and we work to conserve endangered sea turtles in Canadian waters and worldwide. That's amazing. Um, can I ask, why did you decide to work on sea turtles? What do you love about them? 
I love that they have been around for such a long time. I love that they were here when the dinosaurs were on Earth. I think that that's really amazing to me. I love that when I sit next to a nesting sea turtle on a beach, for example, or where I'm working with one in the ocean, that I really have a sense of being a very small part of an a really big world that's about so much more than just human beings. I love that feeling of being um, a tiny thing in the world. Yeah, I can totally see that. Can you explain a bit about leatherback turtles? Um, How did they get this name? Uh, They're called leatherback turtles because their shell is different from what you would think of as a regular turtle shell, you know, which are made up of bony plates or scoots. Um, Leatherbacks instead, they're the bones of their the bone of their shell is covered by a really uh, thick layer of fat and kind of oil and cartilage, and um, it's covered by skin that looks like leather from far away, although it's not leather. That's cool. Now, okay, on to the main topic of my podcast. Can you tell us how climate change affects sea turtles? Sea turtles are really interesting creatures because they occupy the land and the ocean at the same time. So they're affected by the rise in temperature in the ocean, but also the rise in temperature that accompanies it right on land. Um, And so it impacts their nesting um, experience as well as their experience in water when they're just swimming, right? So it, it affects the the sex of the sea turtles that are born, right? The warm sand makes it so that more female turtles are born than male turtles. And it's never great to really mess with sex ratios. Um, it also, when you've got really big storms, which are part of climate change, you can, um, there's a lot of erosion of shorelines, of coastline, which can affect where nests are laid and also the survival of the nests that are laid. And then also the changes in the ocean itself, um, the temperatures of the ocean itself potentially affect prey distribution for turtles, right? So turtles are found where they can find food. And so what does that mean in terms of, do they have to migrate further? Do they find, you know, is their food source able to survive? How can they adapt to those things? And how much stress are they under in their attempts to adapt? So it's pretty complicated. That's so interesting and scary to think that these amazing creatures are now endangered. But you mentioned before they um, they lived for millions of years? Mm-hmm. 150 million years. It makes me wonder, how have they survived previous changes in the global climate? I don't know exactly how they survived them, but they did <laughs> because they, they they managed to adapt, right? Other people might have that answer, but I don't, but they managed to adapt, right? I mean, the amazing thing about, for example, leatherback turtles. So we know that the that they were, they've been around for at least 150 million years. So a really, really long time. Um, and they've always managed to adapt to changes in climate and changes kind of in the earth. Um, but what they have not been able to adapt to, and all the species of sea turtles are endangered, including leatherback turtles, and leatherbacks are on the decline in the Atlantic, um, is humans, right? So the, the difference that we have now is that the changes that humans have made that negatively impact leatherbacks have happened at a rate way too quickly for, for a species to adapt, right? But it means that they're now facing climate change, which is happening very quickly, probably more quickly than any other kind of climactic change has happened previously. And also while under strain already from what we call anthropogenic threats. So threats made by humans. So there's all kinds of, there are all kinds of things that are at play. It's not just that they're dealing with the climate change at this stage, they're dealing with the climate change as a layer on top of what they've already been been struggling with, which is the threats that humans have, have placed them under. Yeah. So this time they can't adapt because of the speed and the number of changes that humanity brought. Yes. Okay, so my final question to you. What do you wish all Canadians knew about sea turtles? I, I really think that, I mean, there are 
uh, clearly, I think one of the main things is I, I hope they all know that we have sea turtles in Canadian waters. Um, I think that that's, uh, you know, it's something that we talk about all the time here, but I still think is, um, is news to a lot of people in Canada that part of our ecosystem are these turtles that often they associate um, only with warm climates, with places that they go on vacation, you know. Um, but indeed that we host off of Atlantic Canada, some of the most important waters in the whole world for the survival of these animals and that they're we're a really important place for particularly leatherback turtles. So um, that's something I hope people know. Yeah. I guess many Canadians don't know this. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. It was super interesting and helpful. Okay, well, thank you for calling. It was really great to hear from you. Thanks. Uh, have a good one. You too. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks, Kyle. That actually did make me feel better. Yeah, no big sis. So, climate myth time? Yeah, climate myth time. Yeah. This is a climate myth of the week. So, let me ask you. Is Earth getting you down? Are you yearning for a little interplanetary travel? Would you rather live on a red planet than a blue one? Well, then head on up, over and out. Out to sunny Mars. The perfect getaway for the adventurous space colonist. No irritating people, no air pollution. Almost no air at all, actually. Sounds great. Well, let's get on to our Martian climate myth. So, one of the most absurd arguments climate change deniers make about global warming is to say, well, sure, maybe the planet is getting hotter, but it's because of X, Y, or Z, not humans. I mean, just look at Mars. It's getting hotter too, and there are no humans there. And if they care to back up this statement, they might cite some pictures that show Mars's ice caps getting smaller. The first problem with that? Those pictures actually prove the opposite of what they're arguing. Without getting too, too technical, just like our home planet, Mars goes through long-term phases of heating and cooling due to the shape of its orbit and position to the sun. Mars's orbit is more elliptical, like uh, less of an even circle. And the planet itself has more tilt relative to the sun. Which means when Mars is getting colder, more ice accumulates around its middle than at its poles. Partially because its tilt exposes its poles to more sunlight and partially because of the way gravity pulls on it. So there's that. The second problem with that argument? Scientists don't even know what's going on with Mars. It has one fifth of the atmosphere of Earth massive planetary dust storms, and enormous temperature fluctuations between day and night. We're still in the process of collecting basic information about it all. Our data is so new that it's impossible to make any certain statements about it. And I mean, if scientists don't, I'd be really skeptical of anyone else who does. But the people who spread this myth about how Mars is also warming have a stronger motive. They're trying to say that if other planets are warming too, it means that global warming on Earth is a result of a much bigger change happening across the solar system and is not connected to human activity at all. And while sun radiation does change over time, in the past 50 years, it hasn't changed much. And I mean, if anything, it's thought to have been slightly reduced while Earth is just warming more and more. So. Even if individual planets in the solar system are warming, which may or may not be true, it doesn't mean that this warming is a result of interplanetary changes. 
And on Earth, we already know what causes global warming. It's us. This myth has been busted. Wow. If I had to pick which was scariest, between the violent weather events, threatened turtles, or the crazy misinformation floating around the internet, I'd honestly have to say the thing that worries me the most is the fact that people don't listen or believe experts. It kind of seems like the root of the whole problem, the reason why we're in this mess to begin with. That's what next week is all about, figuring out how we got here, because it's not a new problem. I'm gonna trace back to when we stopped trusting experts. I'm gonna seek out climate justice. You know what? I'm gonna ask really hard questions to my parents. Uh, about me? Uh, no, about them. No way. The Big Melt Podcast is brought to you by Earth Rangers and hosted by Sarah Marks. It is written by Lee Lawson, directed by Stefan Richter, and edited by Nitai Steinberg. Production assistance by Avneet Sandhu. To learn more about today's episode or leave us a message, go to bigmeltpodcast.com. You can also take a quick survey for a chance to win a custom t-shirt. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. And come on, show you care with five stars, please. Later, skaters. Jess, this is a message for all the 6 Minutes podcast fans out there. Have you heard? There are new episodes in the 6 Minutes feed called The Ivan Dispatch. I won't go into details, but Ivan found something. A box containing audio cassettes recorded decades ago. And it looks like they were recorded by Cyrus. If you're a fan and you're not following the show, you may have missed out. Search for 6 Minutes and click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't heard 6 Minutes yet, what are you waiting for? Search for six minutes, start a season one, episode one, and enjoy the most downloaded family audio drama in history. Hey, parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're free. Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today.